Courtside Indiana podcast brought to you by Box Out Sports. Box Out Sports is a leading online graphic solution giving you the ability to create professional content in seconds to highlight your team and student athletes during a season. You can sign up for a free demo at boxoutsports.com. Courtside Indiana podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well as SoundCloud. You can subscribe via each of those apps and have them delivered straight to your phone, tablet, or desktop. We would appreciate a rating as well as a review on either of those apps. Welcome to episode 70 of Quartzet Indiana Podcast. As always, this is Jim Reamer. We are recording out of sequence today, recording part of this uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, Sunday early evening, and then Sunday late evening. And, and Zach will join us later. We've got uh, Chris Spillman coming on to help us talk about some of the 2022 kids that he saw this past weekend. And then later, we're going to have a coaching panel of three high school or three head high school coaches, as well as Zach, to talk about uh, the, the National Federation of High Schools uh, ruling this week or, or vote, whatever they did to um, endorse or, or say they're allowing. I'm not sure how that actually works a 35 second shot clock. So we're going to be discussing with Carrie Brown from Connorsville, Alex Daniel from South Bend Riley and Drew Schaus from Logansport. Those three were going to join us and talk about the shot clock, how, it, what their thoughts are on it, how it's going to impact their play, how it's going to impact um, their preparation. And in, and in some cases, especially in the case of South Bend Riley, what it's like to have a guy that, can go get you a bucket, you know, when you need it. So we were going to have Fonso White on the head coach of Fort Wayne Lures as well, but he was unable to join us at the last minute when we recorded that segment. So, but right now we've got to get recruiting updates and that's what I'm going to handle here. Um, this past week, here are some of the, here are the offers that came in that, that we um, noted that we noted Tayshawn Comer received a, an offer from Toledo, uh, Travis Grayson, point guard, or I'm sorry, Tayshawn, a point guard from Cathedral, just, just to be official about it. Travis Grayson is a point guard at Chesterton, class of 2022. He received an offer from Trinity Christian. Billy Smith, the class of 2022 wing from Burbuff, received an offer from Marion. Kobe Ward, who is an, an outgoing senior, uh, received an offer from uh, Indiana IU East out in Richmond. Um, and then um, Jake or Jalen Washington received another high major offer from Connecticut. Of course, he's the power forward uh, junior or incoming senior power forward from Gary Westside. Two commitments this past week. Jake Boynihan from Seton Catholic committed to Emory and Henry, a Division II school in Virginia. And Kyle Ross uh, from Lake Central committed to Milwaukee. Milwaukee was one of the first schools to be on board with Kyle. And, um, you know, he was he was probably a kid that was impacted as much by COVID as anybody. He transferred, transferred out his junior year and pretty much only got to play two games, two or three games of varsity action his junior year, uh, only to have then his 17 and under summer kind of wiped out, especially as far as, uh, you know, in-person viewing from college coaches. So um, it's, it's still kind of a mixed bag on what, what streaming is providing, but, um, you know, Jalen Washington, you know, going back to his offer from Connecticut, that's, 
it's a lot. Obviously, that's the range of schools that are recruiting him and, and that are that are going to be on board with him. He's a he's an exceptional talent who seems to continue to just get healthy. I mean, he's the the more he can play in the post, the the more of a matchup problem he can become. Um, he, he's he definitely is a good outside shooter. I mean, he's it's not just somebody who's avoiding the post, and he does not avoid avoid the post. He has posted up. He's just now getting, I think, looking at some of the video we've seen of him this spring. He looks like he's getting more physical now uh, with with defenders who are obviously trying to body him up. So Kobe Ward had a fantastic uh, career at, at Danville, especially the final two years where, you know, a lot of those kids, I mean, they had a really good group of guys come through there. And, and Brian Barber obviously has things going, running pretty well there. But, you know, Kobe, uh, Getting a late offer, and, and, and I'm always a little puzzled. I'm a little been a little puzzled by his recruitment. Um, he's a kid that plays in the fall league. He's very good in our fall league. And, you know, he's had a, a great junior year with, um, with a tremendous class of kids that were ahead of him. And then when they all graduated, he really stepped up his game. And Danville continued to win kind of at their normal clip. So I think that's, a, that's definitely something that uh, I think a lot of schools in the area need to be, you know, need to consider. Travis Grayson picks up an NAI offer. And I, I think he's ultimately a guy that we, you know, going back to Jake Moynihan, Jake was a guy that we'd said several times, or at least I had that. I, I felt like he was a division two caliber kid. Um, there may, you know, the, the, the gap between competitive NAI schools and division two schools is, is pretty narrow. Uh, but, but Grayson is one of those guys that I think from Chesterton that fits in that same category. I think that at some point there's going to be some division two school that, really values his his ability to penetrate and make plays he, he can finish through contact uh, and I, I think that you you surround him with a little bit more talent especially with with a, a you know a good big then I, th- I think he becomes even better he's been pretty good the times I've seen him play this summer so and and Tayshawn Comer from Cathedral is is pretty much adding to his collection of of really good mid-major mid-major offers so that's the recruiting update. Like I said, we've got we've got a coaching panel coming up on for the shot clock and, and what it means for the program. But up next, we're going to be talking with Chris Spillman and the, the class of 2022 kids he was able to watch this past weekend. We are joined now with uh, Chris Spillman. Chris has uh, been helping us being an extra set of eyes on the road, especially while Zach is attending youth soccer. But uh, it'll be good once Zach starts getting out. We'll have We'll have two or three of us out each time. Chris, how was your, how were your games this weekend? Pretty good. I saw a primarily 2022 guys and was pretty surprised with some names I saw that I haven't heard before and some good basketball from the teams I saw. So good. You were, you were giving me some ideas on what you wanted to talk about, and so I'll, I'll, I'll go down your list here of, um just how, what you wanted to talk about. And we'll start with the, the three under the radar kids that you, um, that you liked and you saw this weekend. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So these guys, I believe all three of them are from the um, IBC blue team that okay. I saw the 2022 age group. Um, and that was team. I was doing some research before the game after I got the roster from the coach. And a lot of those guys are like high scoring guys and big players for, smaller schools in the South Bend area. Some of them are bigger schools, but yeah, but the first guy I'll start with is 
Bo Barhams, who's about a 6'2 guard from Jimtown High School. Um, and he was a really good shooting guard. He hit, I think, three or four threes and very quick and had some great driving moments and good passing moments. And he averaged, I believe, about 17 points per game for Jimtown this season. So he'll be probably their best player again, I'd assume. And, and he's definitely a decent prospect and he's he's a good scorer that's his main talent um and yeah so he was pretty solid um tommy snyder from south bend adams he may be one that's a little more notable since he was one of the few underclassmen on that varsity roster he got about yeah. like three points a game i believe um but he's yep. kind of like a six five post player sort of but the way i liked he played he was a really true stretch big he hit quite a few threes in a row in that game um, and was still being able to have a couple post moves in a row, too. He was he really hot. He he really heated up in that game and got hot from three and the inside. The paint had but his shot looks really good for kind of his play style. Definitely. He, he will definitely get uh, a bigger workload next year because they graduate about 90 percent of their scoring, it seems like. And and that, that South and Adams team is obviously, you know, they were top six or seven team all year and and zach really liked them and they they were kind of his um his go-to whenever he had a whenever he had a dead day or a dead evening he would definitely go catch an extra adams game and and um it, it's too bad the one time they were down here playing warren central i think it was weather related that some games got shuffled around and it ended up being the same time that floyd central played lawrence north i think that's how that worked out there was something i went to lawrence north for um anyway or it may have been when mishawaka marion was at lc like it was one of those two instances and and i i didn't get a chance to see south and adams and mostly because zach had had seen them so many times so that's definitely right up his alley he'll like that he'll like that pick on your part and and um and that may be sometime when we're all three together again uh, we can talk more about that kid go ahead with your third one yep and the last one was carson miller who's about a 6'3", 6'4", player from Bremen High School. Um, I looked it up, too, before the game. He was their leading scorer, I think, at either 18 or 19 a game, I believe, there. But he's more of a 6'3", 6'4", undersized post. But he his, his finishing ability was very impressive. He pretty much anything, despite the contact or anything, he got. And he got probably three or four and ones in that game. Just He's kind of got a bruiser type of frame. You know, he's – kind of more attacking the post, but he, he was impressive for me because he, he doesn't look like the most, you know, athletic guy, but he's, he still was able to really hold his own in the post in that game and probably finished with 15 or 16 points. So yeah, like I said, he's probably going to be Bremen's best player again. And it was good to see those three guys, all guys I have not heard of before and all three definitely good under the radar guys from me. So. Well, that's, that's part of it is, is seeing getting new names or, or at least getting, getting eyes on kids we don't normally get a chance to see. And who were the three best that players that you saw, as, as you noted, excluding Braden Smith. And I, I think that's one thing. It's not a, it's not an unreasonable position. I think since a lot of the talk that we have about recruiting, uh, we, you know, we probably will focus more on uncommitted kids. Uh, you know, Braden's commitment to Purdue. So he's taken care of. And obviously we have other times we talk about, kid you know other contexts we talk about kids like all-star teams and you know the stuff that we do here in the state of indiana as well as their school games and um 
and there's never a lack of talking around about Braden Smith, at least with me. So, uh, so good. Yeah. So go with the three best players that you saw, as you noted, excluding Braden Smith, I'm guessing he would have been among the three, no matter what, but, but let's take those next best three. Yep. So I'll start with the, um, one 2023 standout that was really impressive to me was a six, four, six, five wing type of player. Um, his name's Krug Gibson from Floyd central. Um, he's got a pretty lanky frame. Um, definitely growing potential. I think he looks like a guy that could be around six foot six, I guess he's done growing, but he, I, I went into that game. That was a game that I just happened to look over at. Um, cause I saw it was the local prospects team and I thought maybe they had a Southern Indiana guy. Um, and he was the most impressive guy when I was watching and I looked up the roster and he happened to be from Indiana and his, his best part of his game for me was his shot and his ability, despite kind of his somewhat post ideas in the game before that, he started hitting three or four threes in a row. And basically, I mean, that game was pretty close until he started catching fire from three and he basically won them the game. Um, he finished, I saw on their uh, Twitter page, he finished with 23 points, six rebounds and three blocks. Um, and he had, pretty good presence inside too. He had a couple of post moves, which is included in that 23 points and the three blocks too. And that was, I don't remember what team they're playing. I think it was some out of state team, but they had a, they had a couple of taller kids too in their front court. So he, his ability to get those blocks is pretty impressive. And he was definitely surprised because that was, that was definitely a good kind of side game to watch. And did he, did, did, he play, did he play on their 2022 team or their 2023 team? 2023. Okay, so he played yeah, in his age group. You're just including yeah. in this mix. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah, well, just, yeah keep, keep going. Good. Yeah, so next one is the guy that's a little more recognizable. Sean, I believe his last name is Tapula from Brownsburg. Um, he's a – I think he, he looks about 6'9 now, but he – I saw him play in the regular season a couple times um, against Sionsville um, and then against their game against Avon. Um, and – he looks taller than when I saw him in regular season. But also, one thing I noticed, especially from our Zions, again, was his free throw form looks a lot improved. Um, and that doesn't include the parts in the game, which he looks really quick and was had a couple great chase down blocks in that game. Um, his inside game's getting there. He had a few good moments where he got some nice jump hooks and spin moves and things like that. But that's still getting there. But I think that his ability to have a big presence inside. He had a couple good – and Braden Smith, you know, he's a very good passer. So his ability to finish off of good passes and things like that, but also his ability to kind of create the shot for himself. And, and he, he's still coming along, but he definitely was more impressive than I've seen him yet. And he had – he just played like a true center and played really well in the game I saw. And that was – I actually don't remember which team they're playing in that one, but, but yeah, he was, he did a good job. Well, and that's a point too, but you know, point guards and, and especially the way Braden sets other people up point guards are, I think improved by having good big men. You know, I mean, we can talk about talent around a kid, but, but you talk about a guy that in Braden who can get, who can get to the basket quite, not, not super easily, but certainly a big part of his game. Um, if he's got a big who can be reliable and catch and finish, you know, that's something that you don't get necessarily to have happen at, at the school level just because, I mean, you know, school coaches are played the hand they're dealt. So, 
um, De Pasquale is their is their their big kid, and he's you know six three. He's undersized a lot of times, and so it's 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 nice when you get a chance to see big guys be rewarded by great point guard play, and that and that's probably what you're seeing there when you watch that when you watch them play. Yep. Um, and then the last him was a guy I've never heard of um, before this game, and it's Matthew Brown, who's from. I believe he's from Indy Northwest Homeschool. I'm yep. pretty sure, um, and he's a six-five kind of guard forward type of player. But he he was playing for that Indiana Elite North team, um, and he has a really good looking frame for a guard position. Which I'm not sure which I'm not sure which is his true position because he kind of played a little bit of both in that game. But his his shot looked really good. Um, he hit quite a few threes. It's a really quick jump shot too. Um, and his handling ability for his size also was very impressive. He had quite a few driving, driving layups and things like that and was able to cross some guys up too. And he had a couple dunks too. He's athletic and he, he was a guy that I've never seen before. And he was very impressive for me. Um, a really, really good player. And he really helped their team win that game too. He was definitely their best yeah. player. For me. He's, he's a fall league guy. He plays in the fall league every year and he is um, we, I think we've got him more as a three. I think there's times when I watch him play and think his recruiting could be maximized. If he's, if he can play both the four and the three um, he's, he's got good athleticism. Like you said, he's got decent length. I think his upper body's a little bit behind physically than his lower body. He just seems stronger from the, you know, from the waist down. Uh, but he is, um, you know, there's times where he kind of floats, but you know, it's a, you know, a fall league, you know, so it's, you know, he's, he is, um, I think he can, I think he's can benefit from some structure at least in that context. And like, but like you said, I think he's, he's a kid that, uh, you know, he definitely has some bounce to him. And I think if he's getting his shot going and he's, he's hitting, you know, then he's he's even more dangerous, and that's not exactly that's kind of stating the obvious, but but sometimes you know I do that. So your uh, three kids that you had, what you thought had the highest potential. I'm assuming these are other guys than the well, ones we've already talked about. But yeah, go ahead with that list. Yeah, Brown actually makes a repeat on that list because I okay. think that that's fair. He looked like he looked like a guy with a really high ceiling to me because um, his. And even if it's the three, I feel like he still has a frame that's definitely a college frame um, yeah. with its size. And I think that, again, like you said, if he can keep working on his shot um, and it looked it looked really good there. Um, I was really impressed with how quick it was and he looked really comfortable shooting it, too. So, yeah, but he's he's got a ton of potential. Um, then the next guy is from that team, Logan Lackanow, um, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago. He's a six nine post guy from Carroll, um, and he he looked a lot better this time around. And and the, the main reason why I put him on there is just he has he's a little too raw and inconsistent right now. But he has some moments, which that's what you want to see in kind of a high potential guy. He has a couple moments where he had some great post moves um, and good jump hooks and things like that, um, and then some great putbacks. He was really good at cleaning up the glass in the game I saw. Um, which those are kind of little things, but if he can keep working in his post game and keep improving, I think that he's a guy that could definitely be a college prospect down the line. But again, you know, he's pretty raw now, but I think that 
his ceiling's really high from where he is now. Um, and then Andrew Leeper from Homestead, who's pretty notable, but he, he, in the high school season, I don't know if he even took a three the entire year. Um, and he hit three or four comfortably in the game I was watching, which was surprising for me. Um, I was, I was mainly saying if he can really develop a jump shot and with his athleticism already, he's got a lot of potential, especially, um, to possibly mold into a three, even though he's pretty much a four now, but he, if he can keep improving the consistency with his shot, I think that he can be a really good player down the line. So yeah, those are those yeah. three. So. Def- yeah. I view him more as just a pure four. And if he can stretch the floor out and then that's obviously going to be a plus. So mm-hmm. then you said you had three quick ones, three more quick ones just yep. to throw out there at the end, just kind of cleaning up kids you've seen and, and, and what you thought of them real quick. Yep, and this one, so this was from the first game I saw the Legends 2022 team, um, Jonathan McAfee from Zionsville, who the Legends yeah. team, I, they he scored probably about 20, 25 of their points, and he's just, he's a, I saw him quite a bit during the regular season, obviously, but he's just a really good shooter. Um, I'd say I would think one of the higher up shooters in that class, um, and but he, he definitely – it was close at some points in that game in the first half, like within 10. And that was mainly because he got hot from three and has a really good pull-up mid-range jump shot. He reminds me kind of of Cam Hafner in his shooting regards, um, a, a little bit more of a true sharpshooter show. Um, and then Sicario Thomas from Mishawaka High School. Um, he was with that IABC team. He was a very shifty, good-sized guard. He was about, I'd say, 6'2", 6'3". Um, and he had some really impressive driving moments, and his his drivability was something that was I was very impressed by after the game. And he also had some great play makes off the drive and stuff like that. So, but And then Isaiah Robinson, 6'2", guard from South Bend Riley. He, yeah. he, was, he just played extremely smart in the game I was watching. He had – his shot selection was excellent. He I think he made every shot he took just because he was – he knew when to take it, and he knew when to drive in the game I watched, too, and he, he looked like a really high awareness, high IQ guy to me. So, yeah, those are the last – those were the three more I had. So, so Maccabee's kind of your guy, right? He's um, he, he was actually – the way he played in, against Westfield in the sectional kind of kept Zionsville in it there for a while before they just got to the point where it was where it was too much mm-hmm. – too much Braden and, and too much Hafner, so – but uh, he's a very good shooter and a tough kid. And, you know, he and Iams, uh, Logan Iams, will make a, a nice backcourt next year for Zionsville. So anything else? What do we, we – we don't know fully yet what we're doing next weekend, do we? Uh, no, I'm not sure about events. I know we're playing locally, and so that'll be – so there'll be at least a – there's at least one event that we can get to. So that'll give us a chance to – decide what to see there, but it was good to see 2022. We had spent a couple of weeks seeing 2024 kids. Um, I think we're getting a more of a handle on that class and the 2022 kids. It, it's good to talk about kids. We don't normally talk about, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we, we know how good the, the top talent in that class is. Uh, I, I question how deep the class is mm-hmm. and, but it's still good to, um, you know, these guys get a little bit of, uh, you know, these guys get a little bit of recognition. So, well, Chris, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to move on now to our coaches panel where we talk about the shot clock and, and it'll be interesting discussion. We've, um, 
we're not recording it till later in the evening, so I don't know how that's going to go. I think we've got a pretty, um, pretty interesting cast of characters in terms of coaching style and tempo and and young versus old and and I'm lo- looking forward to uh, getting that recorded tonight. And then as they as we play it back, it'll be after uh, after this segment here with you. So, Chris, uh, have a good week at school. Yep, pretty good. And, yeah, uh, getting oh, close you- to the end. See, are you a junior? Yes. Yep. So, so senioritis set in for me the second semester of my junior year. Um, now we didn't have as many graduation requirements as you do. Uh, really, after my junior year, I only had one more class that I had to take to graduate. Uh, the thought of graduating early was not really that appealing to me, but uh, the the notion of of putting a lot of concern into uh, my senior year was was pretty fried by the end of my junior year. So um, how many, uh, how much more do you need to graduate? Are you able to just coast that out next year? And I mean, obviously get good grades, but anything you need next year in schooling where you, you got to really focus down on it. Well, I've, I'm already going to have enough credits to graduate after this semester. Yeah. Um, but I, but I still, I kind of coast in next year because uh, I won't have to take any math classes, but I'll have to take some science, English history next year. Yeah. So. Yeah, but should be a pretty easy year. So and and government, get your government yeah. in. Yes, exactly. That <laughs> seems to be every you know that's the one thing they keep beating that drum is when certain classes are are taken and government seems to be the last one. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, all right, Chris, appreciate your time and and we'll get uh, back out on the court next weekend, bub. We're we're on now with. Uh, Looking at my screen, Zach Tyler, who's obviously my partner in crime on the podcast, and uh, Alex Daniel, the head coach at South Bend Riley. Drew Shouse is the head coach at Logansport. And then the, the one, the only, Coach Kerry Brown. Damn, they're almost a state finalist this year. The head coach at Connersville, longtime friend. All the three of these guys are longtime friends of mine. And and uh, Alex and Drew, right, have known Zach for a few years, and and Coach Brown is just a longtime guy. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. We, um, we're going to talk about the shot clock. The, uh, the National Federation of High School Basketball, what came out this week, saying that a 35-second shot clock can be permitted. It, it produced a convoluted rule as to explain what the shot clock is. Most of us know what it is. I don't think we need their explanation. Um, but it is interesting. Some of the parameters talked about stopwatch at a scores table. If the shot clock should malfunction, I mean, some of it's common sense and stuff that we already know about from watching the NBA in college. So Zach is curious to know what you guys, who's in favor of it, who's against it. And, and that'll include us too, but, uh, let's start with coach Brown. First of all, coach Brown, and I'm not picking on him because obviously they were very successful this year. Of all the teams that finished 500 or, or above 500 this year, Connersville was the lowest scoring team among those teams, but also had the second lowest defensive average among those teams. And I don't know who the Christian school is that finished the lowest defensive average, but certainly among teams that got out of a sectional, you guys were the, the best defensive team, at least by the numbers. And, um, you know, a lot of your stuff is you have a different sense of tempo. 
So I'm, I'm definitely curious what your thoughts on the shot clock is and, and whether you um, are in favor of it and, and what, you, what are your initial thoughts? Well, I guess I could be changed, but initially my thoughts would be I'm kind of old school, traditional, uh, old fashioned. So I'm not looking to um, fix something that's not broken. Um, so I initially am not in favor of the shot clock and it's not necessarily because of how um, we play and, and I would be interested in knowing, you know, Drew, Alex and, and other coaches out there, um, how many possessions they average per game. Cause I think that's what it boils down to you. People want to play faster. And there was something um, NCAA versus high school numbers. And they said it was very comparable. And I don't remember the, the exact numbers, but um, you know, we play how we play because we feel like it gives us the best chance to win. Um, but um, I, I would say that I pattern or try to pattern what we do off of what programs, successful programs like uh, and coaches like um, Craig Teagle at Huntington North and uh, Ryan Osborne and before him, Scott Hetty at Carmel do. And um, all we're trying to do is, you know, kind of copy what those successful coaches and programs have done. Uh, we, we haven't invented anything uh, we're just trying to do our best to copy what successful programs have done. Now, Alex and, and certainly Zach will have questions too. I'm just, I kind of had a thought process on how we would start this. Alex, of the three coaches, you guys are the, the highest scoring team. Um, you also had absolute one of the best players in the state of Indiana this year and, and somebody that you could rely on to go get a bucket. And I think that's something that teams will have to, figure out if, if they got a guy they can just that can just go get something late in the clock. And, and so what, what are your thoughts on the shot clock there, Alex? Yeah, I, I don't – I think there's advantages, disadvantages to it. Um, for me, I guess my frustration with, with – you know, I didn't run into a lot of teams that um, – it wasn't necessarily a, a situation where teams are like standing in, you know, four-corner situation where teams are just standing and holding the ball. Um, but I do think there's a lot of just offense that, that's um, that's not uh, uh, going towards the basket or they're not looking to make a play off of it. There's a lot of false offense that just, you know, whether that be pattern or uh, a lot of guys just moving away from the basket. And I think, you know, for me, I remember multiple games where we started off possessions, um, you know, playing defense for – a minute, minute and a half, and I'm looking at my guys afterward. <laughs> they're beat, and I'm like, we can't, we can't continue to um, put that kind of pressure on for for four quarters. Um, so, I, but also at the same time, I'm a guy that you know, uh, I played under Bill Harrell, so we did some four corners too um, when I was at Muncie Central. So, um, I do see how you know you can use it to your advantage, but um, and, I, and like like Kerry said, I do uh, think there's some um, old school, you know, feel to that where if we, we were to implement a shot clock, I think that, you know, take away a little bit from what Indiana basketball uh, has been about. Um, so kind of on the fence with it, obviously with the team I got right now and the, the players that I got, I think that we would have an advantage in some ways, but, um, you know, at the same time, I can, um, I could see it the other way as well. Drew, you've got, You've been at this is will be your second school now. You're you're dealing with guys. Well, I'm I'm generalizing, so I, I don't know that I'm being accurate when I say this. 
you've got guys that are probably kids that are starting to come up through your system that are going to be able to play a certain way or, or play the way you want them to play. Obviously what, how do you think the shot clock fits in with what you're doing? Well, past two years, we've not been offensively gifted. Um, so we had to do it on the defensive end by packing it in with the pack line, which ultimately we got longer possessions for teams like Lafayette, Jeff, or Marion, just by kind of packing it in and muddying it up a little bit. Um, but we don't have the firepower right now to get in a 70, 80-point game. We just we can't score that much. And I've tried to, you know, talk to my coaches a little bit about we averaged 13 turnovers a game, um, got about 43 shot attempts a game. But any time that we got in the 60s, we we just couldn't do it. Um, but I know this year we're under uh, – we held teams 17 times this year under their defense or their offensive average, which kept us in games. Um, anytime we could do that, we, we, we gave ourselves a chance to win. But I honestly think, you know, if we could get some of those athletes that they've had in the past, but the NCC, you know, when you've got Jalen Blackman, Brooks Barnheiser, um, those guys that can really run and gun, um, you're going to have higher possession games just because they're going to take quick shots. Um, and I think for us, we can get to the point where we, you know, control the tempo a little bit more and play a little faster. But for us these past two years to have a chance to win, we had to slow it down and kind of make it a lower possession game. I thought that coach Brown asked a question about number of possessions per, per game. Do you guys carry, do you chart that? I mean, I know well, you chart it, but do you know it? Because I do because um, figuring points per possession. Yeah. So I know, and I actually went through and, and, and preparing for tonight, I did 14 of our, pulled up 14 of our 26 games and I'd be interested in what someone else has. We're at 51.3 possessions um, per game through 14 of those 26 games. And that included, you know, Lawrence North and Silver Creek who both played in the state championship games. Um, um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I would guess that those programs that we try to emulate like Carmel and Huntington or somewhere around there. And, um, I'd be interested because Drew probably plays more like us, you know, what their um, number of possessions they have per game is. We were at 61. Yeah. We, we did, Alex, did you have, have you, did you have to, you know, that offhand or did you get, no, I don't, I'm on my no. cell phone right now too. So I don't have access to it, but yeah, I, I'm sure we were uh, close to probably mid sixties. I assume if not a higher, higher sixties. So we did, when we were at Eminence, so I mean, I haven't been in school ball for 15 years, but when we were at Eminence, we did possession charts, like just on hand, like on paper. Um, we, we weren't obviously back then using iPads and, and stat programs, but I thought we were anywhere from 14 to 16 possessions per quarter. And that's why I've always argued against the fact that it, we needed to have a shot clock. Um, so I've always taken that route and I, I've coached with it. And I, I've coached with it. I've enjoyed it. I, I do think it changes the end of games for sure. It definitely changes the end of clock situations. So the end of quarters. Um, I, I so I'm, I'm not as much on the fence maybe as like Alex would be. I mean, I not that you're remotely against it. I'm just saying that I like the, I like the different elements of strategy to it. 
I think that's something Coach Osborne had mentioned in a follow-up, right, what Kyle Nedenrip did with the star. I, I like what it cha- does at the end of games. It, like, it limits the, the number of times somebody has to foul just to climb back into a game, especially if it's like a two- or three-possession game. So that, that's been my position. And, you know, I, I've enjoyed it. But, you know, I get to go out and pick my own teams too. So that's, that's a little bit of a different – it's a little bit of a, a different level and and usually have three or four guys who can go get a bucket if we need one. So Alex played with some of those dudes that could go get back. He played with one at Muncie Central that could get a basket anytime they needed it pretty much. So, Zach, what's your thoughts? And then any then obviously follow up with any questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm with everybody else. I could see both ways on on going with a shot clock or or staying old school. Uh if, if, if 35 is not a number for uh, amount of shot clock time is, is 40, 45, does that kind of number make sense if you're going to add a shot clock or, or is that not much of a difference, do you guys think? In the games that I um, tallied up, and again, I was a PE major and a history minor, so my math may be off, but it looked <laughs> like we shot the ball on average in those 14 games every 37.4 seconds. So I don't know if that helps you uh, with your answer or not. It looks like 35 seconds is probably 40, 45, whatever. They, if they end up changing it, you know, we just do – we coach and – Uh-oh, coach, Coach's audio is gone. Coach Brown's audio is – I don't know if he can – Drew, what do you – I mean, Alex, how much – Yeah, I think that's interesting. Just hearing Kerry say that his possessions were 37. I mean, that's – those are long possessions. Like, but not only that, like – and he, you know, he may say, okay, well, he just – all he has to do is shorten his um, – shorten his uh, possession by two seconds and he'll be fine. Well, you also have to take in the fact that the, the, the tightness of that at the end of those shot clocks, you know, you get inside 10 seconds – it's a different feel, you know what I mean, from from a player perspective and from coaching at the college level. Like, there's just more of a sense of urgency, not only on the offensive end, um, but the defensive end too. You know, defenses are going to play faster and and, and um, closeouts are going to be harder. And those shots they're getting at 37.5 um, are probably really good shots for them. And that's not always guaranteed to happen, you know what I mean, between those 25 and 35 seconds uh, where they're going to have – you know, have to have a guy go make a play or shoot shoot a shot that he normally wouldn't. So, no, the, I think the question the, the question I had for Kerry, I wanted to follow up on what he said about the the timing of how long it, you know that, what they go the time between shots, and hopefully his audio is working to get to get kicked back in. If not, we might pause it real quick just to see what's going on. But but I wonder is that thirty seven seconds per possession or thirty seven seconds in between shots? I mean, are we talking about an average number of shots, or are you actually, coach, breaking down your possessions, seeing seeing start times? He's he's texting me the answers to the I questions. Um, there we go. Now we can, I can hear, hear you. Hear you now. We um, can hear I you. Lost you guys for a minute. I can see, but couldn't hear you. Go, restate what you were saying, Jim. Are you saying that your possessions are 37 seconds long on average, or are you saying that you're 37 seconds, like average time for shots? Because those are definitely two different concepts. Yeah, it could end up. yeah, we lost the audio there again. 
that Connor's little Wi-Fi. Could be, could be internet. Sometimes it is internet. It's a hell of an answer, whatever he's got going on right now. <laughs> I got 37.4 seconds in those 14 games. You know, here's got the, the Hey, thing. coach, start over. Tell Answer real quick. Sorry, you, you half your answer was cut off by the audio. Okay. What, what, answer real quickly. Was it 37 seconds? Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jim. Was it 37 seconds between shots or 37 seconds each possession? Possession. Okay. So 35 seconds will definitely curb what you're doing. Yeah, his audio is rough. Drew, do you know those times on your on your team? I do not. I mean, I think going off a point Alex made earlier, he said he, he had a possession where there's like a minute or so possession. He's looking over at his kids and they're dead tired. And that's something we tried to do was, you know, we try to get as much movement as possible, you know, to work that around. And I think Zach saw McCutcheon play, and you may have seen McCutcheon play, but there's no way we can stay in a game with them if we get in a track meet or high possession game. We lost 49 to 45, but fouled at the end and had a chance to win it with a three prior to that foul. But I think what Alex is saying is you wear down some of those teams that are trying to be high pressure um, in your face. And then by the time fourth quarter rolls around, you're getting, um, you're getting those long possessions that lead to good shots. I'd say we were probably a little bit lower in Coach Brown, probably in the, the low 30s. That just, that just seems awfully high. It, it just seems like, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, the number of times too. I, you know, I guess I, I mean, obviously I watch a lot of Carmel games and Coach Brown has mentioned them a couple of times now. I, you know, I think of the times that as much as Carmel gets, a little bit of a wrap for slowing things down. Um, you know, a lot of that is on the defensive end, which I know a lot of it for Connorsville is also on the defensive end. They're, they're so both those teams are so disciplined on defense that that's that's also how they lengthen the game. But and we've Zach and I have talked about that quite a bit, but um, over various podcasts as we've as we've covered teams, the. Um, but I also think of the number of times Carmel will play fast just because they can take advantage of the fact that they can turn somebody's defense. Wow. Sorry about that noise. Somebody's defense into their offense. And, and but they've also got guys that can score quickly, too. And so if, if we get a couple of Carmel gets a couple of quick possessions, you know, they, it might be players of a different ability, no different than what Alex may do with with Blake. Um but, you know, I don't – We could have got a shot within 10 seconds against anybody this year, Coach. Guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed. And it, good or bad. You, and you probably – good or bad. Well, yeah, it's always easy to get bad shots, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much yeah. as we joke about the Snyder game before we started recording, I mean, from a fan perspective, it was a very fun game to watch. It was up and down. It was two teams that were very talented. Um, and, and, again, I didn't – obviously, other than just wanting you to win, just because that's personal – um, I didn't truly have a dog in the hunt. I was, I mean, it was a fun game to watch. Um, I, you may not have had as much fun with it as I did, but, but just to see that talent on display and it's just, I mean, Snyder had, has three, four kids, has three kids, especially maybe even a fourth, um, who are, who can go get a bucket. And I, I think that's, you know, some teams will, will look at that as, you know, something that might change their mind when it comes, especially at the end of, well, they're going to have to figure out ways to handle end of clock situations if this thing comes up. And 
Carrie, can you, how's your audio? I, I changed locations. I don't know if that's any better or not. <laughs> Getting you closer right? to, yeah, I can hear you now. Getting you close to Wi Fi. So, Zach, did we talk to, did you talk to anybody who was like definitely against it? Yeah. I mean, uh, and I feel like that he was against it because uh, his caliber of player really wasn't that, that high. Uh, more of a, a team than a individual or a couple individuals that can score it. Uh, so back that goes back to Alex's point where he's got a guy that can go get him a bucket when he needs to, but uh, we'll see what that's like this year coming up. Who was the coach? Or do you not uh, and want then you back to Drew's point where uh, I won't mention right now. I, okay. I can, we can get him on another time maybe. Okay. Uh, but back to Drew's point, like he, he doesn't have a Blake Wesley to go. I mean, Malachi is really good, but I I, th- I feel like it tends to go with the the caliber of player that schools have as well. Sure, um, Alex, do you feel like think think back to your playing days, especially because you were on some obviously very very good Muncie Central teams? Do do you think that do you consider changing any defensive philosophy? based on the fact that you can tell your guys now you've got 35 seconds to, to guard, to have a, I don't know if the word perfect defensive possession is in play, but where you tell your guys, if you play this possession a certain way, you're only going to be defending for 35 seconds. So go out there and, and really bust your butt. Does that change anything with you in terms of approach? Yeah, yeah I think there's definitely, definitely some, some games this year or, or some, some teachings that we could have done um, in the half court. Uh, more so, and we we pressed a lot this year, especially in the first half of the season. Um, I definitely think it would have played a factor. Just um, you know, when you, you don't want to you want to apply pressure, but you don't want to be a. Uh, uh, we got to you know midway through the season, we were we were gambling a lot, gambling a lot because we were trying to trying to speed them up. But you put a thirty five second shot clock on there, you can apply a lot of ball pressure. Um, without gambling, without trying to create those turnovers, but but just wearing them down from a defensive standpoint and within those 35 seconds. And so, you know, for me, I think, you know, I, I, no matter if I have a Blake Wesley on my team or not, um, we're, we're going to still do some things. Um, uh, we're still gonna, probably going to play a little bit faster than most teams um, and those kinds of things. But I definitely think with the shot clock in play, we would, we would have been able to really smother some teams in the half court um, this year more so than what, what we were able to do at times. Drew, does it change anything you're doing defensively? I think we still, you know, hard edge ball screens. We still, you know, pack it in in there. I don't think it really changes much of what we do. I think you may see a little more zone from teams. Um, I think that could be something you see. But for us, I don't think we change uh, very much. Carrie, anything that would change you defensively? I mean, I mean, I've always had high praise for your defense, for the defensive side of the ball. And we've, we've joked about offense sometimes between me and you. But would it change anything you're doing defensively? You know, I don't think so. Um, just because, you know, you, I think you teach what you think you know best. And um, I've tried to steal from some of the best out there. So we would stick with what we're doing defensively. Um, I did think Alex made a, a great relevant point about not only, and I think what he was saying, if I understood, was not only is there the pressure of the defense guarding you at the end of the shot clock, but then you also have that added pressure of time. Um, whereas if you, the way we play, you know, we don't tell 
our kids how many passes to make. We don't tar- with the exception of one game in the 12 years I've been here, um, how many possessions we want there to be in a quarter. The only thing that we preach to our kids is get the best shot possible by our best shooters. And then, you know, if it's swung a number of times and you're not one of our best shooters, but you're wide open, um, you're taking that shot. So. Do you think it changes anything offensively for you, Carrie? Yeah. I mean, I I would think that you would have to, and and Drew and um, Alex would have a better idea of this because they've coached at the college level. Um, but I would think that you would have to have a, you'd spend more time on end of clock situations. Like right now, you have four of them at the end of the four quarters. You're going to have many of them in a game. So I think that part of the game, you when it got to 10 seconds or eight seconds, you would work more on that than we probably do now. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, there's a lot of quick action stuff that, you know, obviously has to take place at the end of shot clocks and putting guys in the best position to get the you know best spot or best shot they can um in a in a you know pretty quick amount of time so i think ball screens come into a lot you know come into more play or you know getting the ball in your best player's hands and having them make a play for himself or somebody else so what do you what, your days at muncie central what what do you think you would have, when you played there? What do you think you would have? What do you What do you think you guys would have done offensively at the end of at the end of clocks? I mean, um, with the shot clock in play. Yeah, if it had been you and Jordan Armstrong and Bots. And, yeah, I mean, probably a lot of you know with Josiah Miller. You know, yeah, the ball that's right. Quite a bit. Forgot um, about him. Always, God, he was athletic. Yeah. Kid named Ty Riddle that could space the floor pretty well. So just being able to, you know, drive and click. But I, you know, looking back, we didn't do much ball screen action. And um, it was more just four out, one in and uh, playing off of each other. But I, I would, you know, obviously it's been a while ago, but I would, um, I wouldn't think that our possessions, unless they were at into quarters, um, were outside of, outside of 35 seconds. Now I do remember holding on to that thing late in games, uh, especially right. in the fourth quarter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for the most part, our possessions probably would have been within 35 seconds. So did you, I'll ask you and drew both. Did you, did you guys enjoy playing with it more so in high in college than not having it in high school? I think with, with Chid and, you know, Chid a little bit, we were very slow down now with herbs and those guys, he was quicker. Um, but he kind of slowed it down with us, but. I enjoyed um, the college game being faster. I mean, you've got more athletes and then more capable scores at the college level. So I think that was part of it is just getting up and down a little bit and you have higher possession games. And then when I transferred to Bethel, Bethel is one of the higher scoring teams in NAI. So um, for me, I enjoyed that probably a little bit more, um, just the pace of it. Who was the other guard there with Herbs? Because it, say that and then I'll make a point on – you had Tony Centers and Travis Powers. Centers. Yeah. Centers, yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. But of course, the, they also had Brandon Mays, who yeah. led the state in rebounding for two years. So you can play a little faster when you've got a guy who can rebound like he could. Yeah. And he played obviously with the same group that Alex played with that I got to coach. So I that was a fun team. <laughs> that was I enjoyed that team. Didn't have to I didn't have to do much. Neither did I. Uh, 
Yeah, no, yeah, I know. But you were good. <laughs> All those D1 guys, and by the end of the year, you were one of the, you were pretty much one of the starters. So starting our basically our three guard attack there. Um carried it. Well, I mean, I, I guess I've run out of that. Was the questions I had as far as some of the bigger ones. Oh, carries now he's on here twice. <laughs> I'm changing devices. <laughs> we had carry on here twice. Can you uh, hear me? Been... Can you hear me in at all? Yeah, a little bit. You're good. Okay. And you're louder. Well, we changed devices, so my technology director. Good thing I've got one here at home. <laughs> well, your wife said you knew more about it than she did. Is there somebody else there we don't know about? No, it's her and I. <laughs> all right. Are you so, still doing stats by hand, or are you using iPads and stat sheets? <laughs> We've got Xerox copiers that we make copies for the boys. <laughs> Xerox. I'm surprised you don't like a steno press there or something. I'm not even using the right uh, terminology, whatever those old things. You guys, none of you guys are old enough to remember those old, the blue uh, ink copiers. Jeez. I am. <laughs> I don't know about the other guy. I'm old enough to remember when they were there. This has been a long time running gag about how Coach Brown keeps his stats and I keep offering to teach him new ways, and he keeps telling me to leave him. The answer to your question is yes, we do them by hand on the bench. We come home, <laughs> stat the game by hand, and then enter them. Then I give them to the young assistants, <laughs> and they go enter them in the whatever program. And here we are with Zoom. We're doing this. This is great. Yeah. Zach, anything, any any questions you had that we I, that uh, I didn't over-ask? I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm thinking, is this – take effect if it happens in JV games, freshman games, you do it all the way down. How does that going to work? And then is it going to be issues to find people to run those and pay those people? I mean, how's all that work out? Do you guys think? Yeah, that, that was, that's a good one. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, I, I think, yeah, the personnel issue of it, I think it's, <laughs> you look at situations where, I mean, gosh, at Carmel, we have like four or five people that run the scoreboard. It's it's actually a little the, – the communication between those people sometimes – even there's a couple times a game where it seems like the, some things get lost in translation uh, because there's so many people that are involved in that process. But um, have you guys had – here's a question. Any of you guys had any internal conversations with like athletics directors that – have given any indication that you guys wouldn't that it would be difficult to facilitate that have not had that conversation um i think if it's mandated you know it'll drew what about you guys no i think uh mr strong would probably be one of the first to kind of hear about it since he's on the board but he hasn't said anything to right. me um so i so you've I not had like just message on hers. No, not even, yet. Even casual conversations? No, not, not yet. Had anything? Not yet. I mean, you guys are both in basketball. Well, Connor, I mean, you guys are both in basketball strong communities. I mean, communities that Logansport and Connorsville and, 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 and Alex is in a multi-school school district that obviously any, anything that's done where he is has to be done, what, four or five times over, right? I mean – Correct. How many yeah. South Bend public schools are there still? We're, we're four. Four down to four. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
has been any talk on your end on, Hey, we'd have to, I mean, do you guys have shot clocks on your baskets? I don't, I've not, I've yeah. See Logansport doesn't Carmel does. Um, but we don't use them. I do no, think Ryan, we don't, we I do don't think Ryan, them. I think Ryan uses them sometimes in practices, but geez, I only went to one practice this year because of COVID. So it's not like I got a chance to see a bunch of, bunch of game prep. Um, of course, I could just be confusing that just with the clock in general, so which is probably the case. But so you don't have shot clocks on your on your baskets, Alex. So none of you guys. No, do. we do not. So there had know, to be some. I know when Laville got their new stuff that they have shot clocks above their baskets now. They do. Yeah, that's just one school. Obviously. I was well, just I curious think- how that would trickle down to like JV and freshman teams, also freshman games, if they would all have to have shot clocks. And then, like I said, if, if you're going to find somebody to run all that stuff too, that could be I think an issue. a big thing with that. I mean, JV's obviously, for the most part, playing on the same nights for most schools and sometimes freshmen too. But you know, freshmen's on a totally separate night. I feel like that would be, you know, tough to manage. You're talking about most likely volunteers from the stands or whatever that is for trying to make some of that stuff happen. But right. I'm sure once everybody got the swing of things that, you know, people would step up and, and it could be on board with it, but it may, it may run into some struggle for sure. You guys didn't necessarily know who else was going to be on. Uh, do you guys have questions for each other? You, especially, I mean, you three. I think one of the things, I think one of the things for me, I'd, I'd be curious if everybody thought, I think there's a lot of buzz around like just you know, the shot clock not allowing for, you know, so you know, what, what people call the smaller schools or, you know, some of those ups, upsets that take place in Indiana basketball, do you guys feel like, you know, that would go away um, in terms of teams being able to hang with a um, maybe more talented team? Or do you feel like, you know, everybody would make the proper adjustments and, you know, things would be somewhat normal in terms of upsets and being able to compete with maybe bigger schools? I guess um, I kind of um, chime in with Drew. I don't know that we have the same uh, Jimmys and Joes as everybody we're playing. And and I think um, playing possessions or uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, we call it getting the best shot every time down the floor. But I think um, that that would um, give more of an advantage to the teams that are more talented, more athletic, whatever the case is. I just I feel like continuing the way we are allows the teams maybe that aren't as talented to have a chance to win those games. Um, and case in point would be Silver Creek in the regional. We lose by one. They've got two guys going D1 this year and a, had a junior point guard um, on the junior all-star team. Um, I haven't been reached out to by anybody um, at the D3 level, NAI level. D2, whatever, for anybody in our program yet. We had a chance to win the game and, and advance to the semi-state. So I'd hate to see it go. You you think a shot clock would have impacted your, your offensive possessions? That, yeah, that game. But they also played patient, and that's what yeah. I think people fail to realize when they play against someone um, that they know, like us, is going to be patient. Um, they – play more patient themselves and to be honest and and you can ask coach how they pulled the ball out 
with about six or seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter up five um, and forced us to extend our defense. Uh, and then they didn't make their free throws, which is why we get to keep hanging around and, and had a chance at the end. But free throws are a part of the game. Um, when you're on offense and you have the lead, you want to get to the free throw line. And it just that night, it just didn't work out for them. And it, and it allowed us to hang around. But we've been in that situation late before and had to go to run and jump or something down eight with three minutes to go and 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 found a way to come back tied up and win an overtime in the regional. So um, I just I would hate to see it change. I think it allows the teams that aren't as gifted to still have a chance to win those games. Yeah, and I, I think that now we're getting into really good, you know, personal opinion here. I, I think that especially the way you guys defend, Coach Brown, I, I think it'll really benefit you guys because now teams aren't going to be able to pull you out of it. You can guard the way you guard. You can you can have some sort of ceiling on, on a, what, a, what each possession looks like. And I see that from a defensive standpoint where you wouldn't be forced to foul someone. They're going to have to shoot the ball eventually anyway but uh, I'm not sure if the trade-off on the offensive end and and that's what um, Drew was alluding to earlier about having guys that can go just go get it for you and um, you know we haven't had you know we were fortunate to have like Grant Smith and Garrett Silcott on the same team um, you know a couple years ago and both of them went and played in at the NIA level and two really good players but um, you know we don't have either one of those guys on our team right now but we can compete at a high level. Yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, that's but that's I, yeah, that's the defensive and and, and, well, and the and the execution too. So, Drew, any follow up? Any questions you had for the 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 group or? No, not really. I just think it's you know with with Alex, he's, he kind of had Blake Blake who could go do that bucket. So it's just interesting to kind of get opinions from both someone that's got a similar philosophy and then someone who had a little different level of a player and athletes. Coming from the college game like, and jumping into uh, my situation with Riley this year, I and mean, we've had, I mean, Drew, you were there with us when, with your brother, with, with Caleb Ogen, with um, Travion Cruz. I mean, we had a, a whole line of point guards there and I just, and we, you know, obviously playing within the shot clock. So then I, you know, I pick up Blake and, we kind of run with a lot of the same stuff and putting the ball in his hands. So it's kind of a smooth transition, you know, from, um, you know, in, in terms of style play and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting for me next year. I mean, I, I honestly don't think we can play as, you know, as high as possessions and um, we're not, you know, as talented um, as what we were this year. And obviously don't have the, um, the you know, a kid going to another game. So, um, you know, for me, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be different, you know, where we're going to do some different things. And so, but I, I just feel like, you know, at times I, I, and, and I, I hear a lot of people talk about, um, you know, the translation to college game. And I know, you know, very, very few of these kids are going to be able to have the opportunity to play college basketball. But, um, you know, for me, I just like, you know, I'd like to see more emphasis from, from the coaches on just, you know, um, running offense to create actions, to create, you know, long closeouts, to put people in, in tough situations where it's, you know, I feel like now we, we just uh, are moving the ball side to side for, for, for no reason, but to just, you know, hold on to the basketball time. So, um, you know, it would be a big adjustment, I think for, for people, but, um, 
you know, I, like I said from the get-go, I think there's benefits to it. But obviously, I think from coming from the college game, I know what you know, from what Jim was saying. There's there's a lot of um, coaching philosophy that goes into it and puts put your players and your and your staff and in a lot more situations to try to work yourself out of. So. I want to I want to concur with one thing you you said there at the beginning, especially which was, I somehow teaching the kids how to play changes based on this based on having the shot clock versus not having the shot clock, and and I don't know, I don't think any of you guys are not teaching kids how to play the game just because there's no shot clock right now, and and that includes that includes offensive. I mean, Coach Brown would love to have a guy at Connersville on a regular basis, I mean, you know, and coach house, you'd love to have a guy at Logansport on a regular basis that could have the kind of talent to go get a basket when you need one uh, shot clock or not. And I I've been, I've always argued that it, it's not needed. Uh, you know, we touched, I touched on that earlier. Uh, I've just enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it from a coaching standpoint. Um, but I don't, I don't think kids at the high school level are, are somehow not knowing how to play basketball because there is no shot clock. And, and it's like Alex said, these, you got some guys that um, you oh, shoot, I got a phone call. I got to take here. You got some guys that, that are looking to do that and, and, and really not being aggressive, but then there's a lot of cases where they're doing it, just trying to work for a good shot, which is what, what Connersville does. And, and, and what in Carmel's case, that's what they do a lot too. So Zach, you got anything? Nope, I think we're good. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I definitely, definitely thank you for your time, Coach Brown. Appreciate uh, your your friendship as always, and for a long time. And uh, Coach Daniel, Coach Shouse, obviously just appreciate your your time and friendship too. So, um, unless anybody else has got anything to say, I guess that's it. No, appreciate you having me on here. Sorry about the internet connections. No, you're good. You're good. All right, guys. Zach, you good? Yeah. All right, man. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Take care, guys. Appreciate it. Uh